This is the Windswept and Interesting podcast, and I'm Richard Baines. I prefer to be doing an interview like this up on Glencoe Mountain, but today it's Baltic up there, so I'm heading indoors to a nice warm kitchen in the Central Belt to find out more about the Glencoe Mountain Resort and what its future holds in an era of shrinking snow and global heating. If you like this chat, by the way, you can subscribe to the podcast and I'd love to hear your views on it and suggestions for future episodes. Have a look for my handle at Scott Nature Corps on Twitter and send me a note. The first ski toes were put up at the centre in the 1950s and slowly it grew into a popular resort, easily reached for a day out from Glasgow. Then, around 20 years ago, keen skier Andy Meldrum got wind that the place was up for sale after a few disastrous winters. He made inquiries, mainly out of curiosity, he says, to find out how much a ski centre cost, and it sucked him in. So is it true that he remortgaged his house to buy it and didn't tell his wife the full story? Just how badly can Christmas be ruined for a ski centre owner? Can mountain biking save skiing resorts, and does he have to be a climate denier to persist with the venture? All that is what I'm here to find out. This kitchen that I'm in is actually Andy's, of course, and he's here to take up the tale from 2008. It was actually in November that we, we eventually got the, the purchase over the, over the line. And thankfully, at that point in time, there were still two employees that were employed. The estate had kept two of the employees on. And with them and a huge volunteer force, we, uh, we got out there, got the chair back together, got everything going. And really luckily in the first year, we had, we had a pretty early start to the season. We got some good snow. And we got some money in the bank because we had remortgaged our house to purchase the ski area, had no real financial backing, and uh, it was all done on a bit of a a wing and a prayer. Don't tell my wife that because at the time, <laughs> at the time she probably didn't realise quite what the what the risk was. But there was you know quite a high degree of risk, and we got quite lucky in the in the first two seasons. We had two good seasons, put some money behind us, and then slowly but surely we've managed to to make some improvements and develop the business. You've made me curious now, how much does a ski resort cost or how much did it cost in 2008? It wasn't a huge amount of money. When I said we, we remortgaged our house to manage to, to do it. Uh, Which is a, a, a nice, large house in Falkirk, but it's not a it's not millionaire's row here, is it? No, no. So you're talking hundreds of thousands, not millions of pounds. But what we were also doing was taking on all the debt and all the, the issues that you know, might have come to light. So like a lot of businesses, uh, you know, it, it didn't cost a huge amount to take on, but there may have been some quite big skeletons in the closet when we got in there. So, uh, you know, the risk was quite high, but the, the actual finance of purchasing this area wasn't too high. Now, 15 years on, how's this year gone? Yeah, we're still here. I think I think that's probably the the biggest thing we can say every year is we're we're still here we had a really good start to the year january we had amazing snow we just built a new three-man chairlift which went into commission this year that's higher up the mountain that's not the access lift yeah higher up the mountain and that's that allowed us to have our biggest ever day normally about a thousand skiers would be a, a big day for us we had just over 1400 skiers on our biggest day so january was actually our best ever january but unfortunately in february the the snow disappeared we had a couple of weeks where we had just very limited skiing and in the last three weeks we've not even been able to ski. But we're quite hopeful. The snow looks like it's coming back this week, so 
we're quite hopeful we'll get going again because normally we don't close till end of April, early May. So we're hopeful we'll still get a run through Easter. Now that break has actually enabled you to do some vital repair work on that access chairlift, which is quite old and rattles a bit now, doesn't it? So um, that brings me on to the subject of your infrastructure and what you need, what you need to invest in that. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think the lift infrastructure at Glencoe, I think the oldest lift in the hill, parts of it were built back in 1962. We've got a single man chairlift that was built in early 1970s. The access chair is actually relatively new, but it was built second hand and it was built in 1990. The issue with it is it, it runs 11 months a year. Most chairlifts only run for the ski season, so maybe three or four months in the year. This runs 11 months in the year, which means it's basically getting quite old and probably within the next five or six years needs it needs replaced. We had an issue where, uh, yeah, well, about three weeks ago, we uh, we noticed it was starting to make a little bit of a rattle at the top and we, uh, we took it apart because we didn't have any snow. So we decided it'd be a good time to, to do some maintenance, see what was happening. And we've ended up having to do some major mechanical work on the, the top bull wheel, which Thankfully, we've actually just got completed yesterday and the chairlift should be going back into commission either today or tomorrow. So uh, it's worked out reasonably well because the snow's just come back and the chair's just ready to go again. A bit of luck. You've had some luck with all this, haven't you? Your first two seasons being very good ones, etc. Yeah, we've had some luck. We've also had some absolutely dreadful seasons. I mean, we, we can't ski our numbers for, for a season to see how well we're doing. And we've had a season where we only had just over 4,000 skiers. The whole season? The whole season. Um, our, best, our best season, we had just over 41,000 skiers. And that makes a huge difference. It's, it's maybe a million and a half pound difference in turnover. And trying to plan for that and trying to plan uh, development work for the next year when you don't know whether you're going to you know, generate a million pound or two million pound turnover, it can be quite a challenge. Snow is an increasingly scarce commodity in most people's opinion. Um, are you wise to invest? have invested all this time and money in a, a ski centre in what's widely regarded as a marginal area? Yeah, I think skiing in Scotland's always been marginal. We've done a number of things that have made a big difference from, a, you know, from an organisation point of view. We've put in better snow fencing, which catches the snow when it falls, builds bigger drifts. We have a, a snowblower for the front of the the piece machine, which we uh, we we throw snow from one side of the snow fence onto the other side of the snow fence, so we build up the depth of snow on the runs. We've got far better at managing snow, and we've actually, since I've been involved at the Ski Centre the last 15 years, we've actually opened earlier and closed later than happened previously. We do seem to get more wind, and that's a double-edged sword. It means we, we're closed more often because we can't run the chairlifts because it's too windy. But also the wind blows the snow into bigger drifts. And because we now have the equipment and machinery to move that snow around, we actually find that uh, we've not seen any difference. I've been involved in the industry in one way or the other for about 40 years now. And 40 years ago, we had some dreadful seasons. We still have some dreadful seasons, but we also have some amazing seasons. So we've not really seen anything change. What we've seen change is the way we manage the snow, and that management of snow allows us, as I said, to open early and close later. You're a bit of a climate change sceptic, you were saying. 
I'm skeptical to from the point of view that uh, I think sunspot activity, I think volcanic activity. I'm, I'm a geologist by trade. I'm a geologist and surveyor by trade. I, I think man is potentially having an impact, but I think against what nature can do, I think it's a very small impact. I, I completely agree that we need to clean up the planet. I completely agree we need to reduce our energy usage, but uh, I'm probably only skeptical around the fact that around the CO2 argument and the fact that we need to dramatically reduce CO2 because as a geologist I look back in history and there were times when CO2 levels were much higher. And life survived. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe not with skiing, maybe not dinosaurs in skis. Yeah, I'm, 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 I more think that we would be better investing in learning to live with whatever happens and that we need to clean up the oceans, we need to clean up the planet, we need to reduce our use of chemicals, you know, there's a lot of things we could be doing that I think are far more important for the environment than uh, than that spurious CO2 value. You've uh, expanded into mountain biking. Yeah, with 11 years now we've been doing mountain biking. That actually started to run the, the Scottish Downhill Association. They, they built the first track there. They built it by hand and then rode down the front of the mountain. Over the years we've developed, so we now have a black track, a red track, and we have a, a whole network of cross-country trails. And we continue to, to expand and develop that as and when we can. How important is that to the business? Mountain biking is a difficult one. We spend so much on track maintenance. It doesn't generally, it doesn't show much of a profit, but it does bring people to the area. Uh, it keeps your staff busy, it keeps the, the whole thing running, presumably. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we, we're we still a ski centre. Really, we, we generate most of our profit that can be reinvested through a good ski day. A good ski day, we can have a 1,000 or 1,400 skiers. A good mountain biking day, we get 20 or 30 bikes. So it's a very, very different model. And, it, it you know, over a whole season, we can generate more money in a busy ski weekend than we can generate over a whole biking season. Right, so it's a marginal thing, like the tubing, like the cafe, they're all marginal add-ons, really. Yeah, the tubing's marginal. The cafe's probably not marginal now. The cafe makes up a big percentage of a turnover because we because we have on-site accommodation. And that was probably the biggest thing we did when when we took over, it was Glencoe Ski Centre. One of the first things we did was rename it Glencoe Mountain Resort. And that was before we even had accommodation. And that was because we always aspired to have accommodation. So a bit of a marketing move. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was then a five-year fight to be able to be allowed to put accommodation in. But what that accommodation's meant is that in the morning, we sell 70 or 80 breakfast because we've got people on site buying breakfast. In the evening, we sell 70 or 80 evening meals. And then we have the skiers and, or, or other summer visitors, if it's the summer, around that. So the cafe from early in the morning till late at night is, is busy and it's doing trade all day so it tends to be quite good and with the new cafe we've we've now built in that that makes a big that makes a big difference you're listening to the windswept and interesting podcast a disastrous fire gave andy meldrum his worst christmas present ever in 2019 how did he and the team at glencoe recover stay listening to find out we'll be back in one minute You've got a new cafe, but you've got a new cafe because the old one burnt down in 2019, Christmas 2019. Um, that must have been a, a, a bit of a sickener, a bit of a blow. Yeah, it was. I had, uh, there's only one day that we, we shut, and that's, we shut Christmas Eve. 
and we shut Christmas Day night so the staff can get a day off. And uh, normally I have my phone beside the bedside, so if there's any calls from the accommodation, I have the emergency number for the site. And uh, because we were closed, I had put my phone away. So the rest of the staff were alerted by the, the fire brigade at three and four in the morning and were on site by five in the morning watching the building go up in flames. But uh, I didn't answer my phone till I got up in the morning because I'd, I'd put it away. So I didn't hear, but instead of opening presents with the, the kids, we were standing on Christmas morning watching the, the building go up in flames, which was a huge, a huge challenge. Uh, but... Because it's important to you, turnover, it's important to you, to your business, to have that running. Yeah, it was, it was an iconic building as well. It was a Canadian, I think it was Canadian pine log cabin. It was, it? It was beautiful, yeah. A, a yeah. very iconic building that you would struggle to build nowadays because it wouldn't meet most regulations because the wind whistles straight through it and, uh, you know, it probably wasn't as efficient as you'd want to build a building now. So uh, to see it go up in flames, and it, it was in a very difficult two years because we had two years without a base building without a proper ski hire, without a proper cafe. The insurance company gave us a temporary porter cabin, but because we were having to build the replacement building, it was sited at the bottom of our car park and it was away from everything and it was very quiet. And it was, it was a very difficult time, not just for us, but for the staff, because they were working at a, a porter cabin rather than a, a nice cafe. The only good news is last February, we got a new cafe built and we took the opportunity to to make some improvements we've kept the same look to the cafe so we we have the same stunning views from it that the one thing about the area is it has incredible views so we've kept big panoramic windows we've we've put new panoramic windows looking up the hill as well so the the view from all over the cafe is it is absolutely stunning it's very good yeah i've tried it i've had, a, I've had my black pudding roll in there and it was excellent good so that's 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 a, a recovery but that must have been quite hard to get through that yeah i think well anybody that's dealt with insurance companies and <laughs> anybody that's dealt with that whole process uh and even you know we were building during the back end of covid and uh brexit seems to have had an impact on materials so everything everything became more expensive finding skilled tradespeople for the build became more difficult so i think everything was incredibly challenging and we still have challenges the building's not still not quite complete we're still working to to get the building that we that we want but we're we're getting there and it's 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 certainly been a big improvement you dropped the b word brexit there i think didn't you um has that had an impact on staffing for instance i know hospitality and that kind of thing those industries have uh, have really struggled in scotland to get staff our, our biggest challenge is we don't have staff accommodation and getting accommodation for people in the area is really difficult. What we've had to do this year is make some of our, our micro-lodge accommodation available to our staff. Uh, there's certainly plenty of people that want to come and work away from cities at the moment, so we're actually seeing a, an improvement in the, in the... People seem to... I think maybe it's COVID. It's, it's, people don't want to be around lots of people. They want to live out in the countryside. So there does actually seem to be a and move out to, to the countryside. So when we're finding it easier this year with recruitment, we're still finding it incredibly difficult finding places for, for staff to stay. But we do have we do have plans to, to build more staff or to build proper staff accommodation. That's that's next on our list of, of jobs to do. On the resort or nearby or because it's it's tricky getting planning permission. 
No, on, on the resort, we we have a couple of old buildings that are no longer used that we hope to be able to repurpose and uh, turn into staff. Brownfield resort. site, at least, yeah. Yeah. And be able to do something with it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I suppose the, 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 the big question is, it's, it's not easy doing what you're doing. It's been a challenge. There's been a number of pretty big challenges. You seem, always seem remarkably cheerful. And I'm trying to guess how old you are from the things that you've said. Um, but you, you never look a day over 30 um, every time I see you. What, what, would, it, what would it take to, to, to push you out of this? What would it take to, to, to say, I'm beaten, I've had enough, I've, I've, I'm done with this? Well, thanks for the compliment. I'm actually, I'm actually 55 this year. Uh, well, 55 in a few weeks' time. Uh, I think our, our biggest challenge going forward is ageing infrastructure. I, I mentioned it earlier, our oldest lift was built in 1962. That's the, our parts of it, the wall T-bar. Most of the lifts there have been upgraded in some way over the, over the years. Are they a bit like Trigger's broom? You know, where you, you have a handle and then you have a head and it's the same brush, but you've changed the handle and you've changed the head. Absolutely, absolutely. There's maybe not a huge amount of the, the lift still there. Uh, so we're now in a position where over the next 10 or 15 years, most of the most of the uplift is going to have to be replaced because most of it's reaching end of life. The most critical piece is the access chairlift because without the access chairlift, we can't get people in the mountain. And that's the bit where we had the, the mechanical issue. We need, we're going to need to replace that in the next you know, next five years, next ten years. The challenge we have is even if we replace like for like, it's going to cost five or six million pounds to just put in the same chairlift. Now, at the moment, we have chairs that are uh, fixed, what are called fixed grip. And the technical thing in that is that the chairlift always stays on the cable, which means they run very slowly. So it takes 15 minutes to get up to the top, whereas if you're in a modern chair in the Alps, you'd be scooting up there in four or five minutes because it's called a detachable chair where the, the, the chair will come off the cable, go slower when it gets to the bottom and the top and that allows it to go very fast once it gets in the line. To upgrade to a modern detachable chair, if we're talking it's something like 10 or 12 million pounds, to upgrade to a gondola, we're talking 15 or 20 million pounds. But a gondola would give you enormously greater capacity to get people up and down the mountain quickly. Yeah, it would. It would, and that's and and that's ultimately what we need. But again, we have to be realistic in you know in in Scotland in the environment. We also have plans for advanced snowmaking that would be connected to a turbine, which would allow us to generate you know power all year round, but would also allow us to make snow when conditions were right. So we have some big plans, but as a business in fifteen years, because we've continued to invest, we've only in one year out of these fifteen actually generated a paper profit. So to consider putting a gondola in at 15 or 20 million pounds when as a business we, we continually reinvest and we're not actually, you know, making payroll and we're not actually paying our staff Hollywood wages either. You know, people are, most of our staff operate like myself because, because of the love of the place and the love of skiing. It's not, you know, it's not, if I wanted to earn money, I would probably be in another, another industry. Scottish skiing is certainly not the place to, you know, to earn big money. So, so I think going forward, if, if we don't get the support of the Scottish government or HIE to, to modernise in some way, and, and the great thing is there has been some big money spent in Scottish skiing in the last few years. I mean, it, 
how Ken Brown, there's been quite a lot of money spent on upgrading the train and putting in new infrastructure. So tens, the, tens of millions. Yeah, I, I'm not sure the exact figure, but there's been a lot of money. So, so there is a will to to invest in it. And the really interesting thing is that investing in winter sports has an incredible knock-on benefit for all the local businesses because every every day it comes to the ski centre, they, they reckon for every person that comes to the ski centre, there's three or four pounds spent in the local economy. Now, if they come to us in the summer, everybody's already very busy. The hotels and the restaurants are very busy, but in the winter, most of the restaurants and hotels and other businesses are really struggling to to get by. The local hotels, some of the local hotels only stay open because we're there. If it wasn't for the ski centre, then they would just shut their doors in the winter. So investing in skiing in, in, in Scotland has a huge knock-on benefit for the rest of the, the local economy. And that's why, you know, we. I can see that, I can understand that. I, I'm not quite sure we've got the message through to to the Scottish Government and HIE that that, uh, you know, that that is a good thing to do. Is there any, so is there any plan for investment from the Scottish Government? Are you talking to them? Is that something that's that's on the table or is that a, a sort of still a, a twinkle in your eye? Yeah, I think I think we're now starting to put the plans in place and we're now starting to have the, the discussions. And, and I'm, I'm happy, I, I talk about it to our customers, I talk about it to, to everybody I can because I, I think for us to do what we want to do to continue to, to develop the ski at Glencoe, we're going to need everybody to buy into the, the idea. We're going to need everybody to buy into the, the dream that it's worth. It's worth continuing to invest in snow sports in Scotland. Uh, and that's why, you know, to a certain extent, uh, I always talk about our figures for Glencoe, our opening days, and the fact that, yeah, we have bad seasons, but there's still snow around. There's still a future for the business. And aligned with the fact that the gondola would open up more and better mountain biking opportunities it would it would open up more opportunities for people to get up into the you know the higher mountains something that you know me and you do we we, we climb we walk we ski there's a lot of people can't get up and even with our, our chairlift at the moment it's 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 we do have disabled access but it's quite difficult disabled access a gondola allows far better disabled access far better elderly access so it allows there's disabled skiers, there's people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but it allows far more people to experience what we take for granted, and a gondola would do that. We're also, as a ski centre, we're the closest to the major population centre. We're, you know, we're within an hour and a half of three and a half million, three and a half million people. Provided the A82 isn't shut by an accident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well, that's, a, well, that's up, another issue. That's up, another upgrade, upgrading our access road and upgrading the eighty two would be another would be another thing that would probably dramatically help our uh, yeah. would dramatically help our business. So, but at the, at the moment, there's no prospect of you getting out of it. At the moment, you, you, you're hopeful that these things will happen. Yeah, but while we can t- continue to make improvements, I mean, since I started, when I started, it was a ski centre. Since I started, we've put in a dry ski slope, we've put in a, a new drag lift, we've put in a new three-man chairlift, we've put in accommodation, we've put in a new cafe, we've continued to invest and make marginal changes. One of the things we're always conscious about is that we don't want to make huge changes because it's Glencoe's a special place uh, and we wouldn't want it to be a super... We want to keep the character... It's the, it's the customers, it's the staff, it's the character of the place that makes Glencoe what it is. We just need to find a way to make it 
more efficient to get customers up and down a hill. I, I mentioned to you earlier the story. If, if we have if we have twelve hundred people on the hill at the moment, the access chairlift can only take six hundred people an hour. So if twelve hundred people are having a great day skiing at four o'clock, we close the lifts and have to get everybody back down the mountain. It takes two hours to off download everybody down the mountain. Now, thankfully, for quite a bit this season, you can ski down the mountain or you can ski to the part of the way to the car park. So that relieves the, the pressure. With a modern gondola, it maybe takes 3,000 people an hour. So you can get everybody down the mountain in 20 minutes. That makes a huge difference if the weather turns or, you know, if people are up the hill and they get, you know, they're wet and miserable. And then I've, I've been there and had to wait and then I left my rucksack at the top and had to go all the way back up and down again. Yeah. <laughs> so it's absolutely miserable. Yeah, yeah. So I think there, there's a lot of reasons why it would why it would make a difference and I know you know we now have a pro, at Glencoe we've got a proven track record of uh, you know management team and of 15 years of continuing to to develop and improve uh, so certainly from a hopefully from a Scottish government point of view HIE point of view that uh, they would see that if there was an investment made that you know it would be in good hands that we would make sure that uh, you know that we made it work that we made made sure we had the numbers that we did everything we could to continue developing and improve. And I, I see myself as a custodian of the business. I'm not, I mean, Glencoe's, it's been there longer than I've been there. The skier has been there longer than I've been alive. Uh, all I want to do is pass it on to the next person in, well, in a better state than, than we found it. And that's, you know, if we can do that, then it'll be, it'll be job well done. Andy, I admire your optimism. Thank you very much for talking to me. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening and remember you can review, subscribe or send me suggestions. My Twitter handle is at Scott Nature Call.